I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. As of this year, Conexión Americas has been serving the Latino communities of Nashville for two decades. The nonprofit has taken the lead in connecting and integrating our Latino neighbors into the fabric of our city. This hour, we'll talk with the co-founder to learn what Nashville was like for Latino communities 20 years ago and what led her to start what has become a pivotal cultural institution. And we'll reflect on the environment and how it's changed over the years. But first, it's time for At Us. Every Thursday, we're taking time to read the comments so you don't have to. You know how it goes if you've been listening. I'm encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville, on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN, and at WPLN News on Facebook. Joining me now, as always, to look back at the past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Khalil. Glad to be back in the studio. Glad to have you back. Okay, so we did a pandemic check-in yesterday, and the timing couldn't have been better. Dr. Fauci just announced that the U.S. is out of the so-called emergency pandemic phase, but importantly, that it's not over. We spent the hour rounding up everything you need to know and taking the pulse of how Middle Tennesseans are feeling in two years in. So on Twitter, a listener who goes by Ash Webb said, Love today's episode, especially since I'm lying in bed on day two of COVID. Grateful to be taking Paxlovid because there's first 12 hours are really brutal. My hope is that we make it easier for people to get this drug. Four-hour pursuit of it last night. They censored themselves with all the curse words. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope our listener, Ashweb, is um, starting to feel a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, Paxlovid is one of the antiviral treatments that Dr. James Hildreth brought up during the episode. Um, our listener's situation is actually pretty common because while um, these antiviral treatments are supposed to be really, really effective, you do need a doctor's prescription in order to get it, and you have to take it within five days of showing symptoms. Um, that can be a, bar a barrier for people who are uninsured or just unable to get a doctor's appointment right away, you know, as soon as they're showing symptoms. Sounds like we should do an episode on healthcare systems and healthcare access. That's a really good idea. Yeah, it's a good one. So, what else are our listeners saying online? So, Mayor John Cooper gave his State of the Metro address yesterday which we carried live here on WPLN. And one sharp listener named Jennifer McKenzie tweeted at us saying, right now, I can think of no better endorsement for This Is Nashville and WPLN than the moment of knowledge and context I have already have had about each of the topics in John Cooper's State of the Metro speech. It's astounding, really. There should be a bingo card with past episodes. Hey, Jennifer, we may use your idea for next year. I like that. Oh, yeah, I'm totally stealing that idea. Um, but after seeing um, her tweet, I listened back to Cooper's speech, and now I wonder if he's actually a fan of This Is Nashville. Now, my agenda for neighborhoods and families has six core items. One, investing in our children's future through education. Two, keeping our neighborhoods safe. Three, building and preserving affordable housing. Four, addressing homelessness. Five, improving our city's fundamental services and transportation infrastructure. And six, creating a greener, more sustainable city. This is our vision of a city that works and works for everyone. 
Okay, so if he's not a fan, he's definitely doing what the kids say, some ear hustling on <laughs> our shows. And, you know, these our regular listeners are pretty familiar with those six areas because, you know, we've covered all of them in just two months of being on the air, including an episode about sustainability and green space just last Friday. Don't forget, you can listen back to our website wherever you get your podcasts. Anything else from our listeners? So one thing that I really, really appreciate about the people who follow us on social media is that a lot of them are really, really open to sending us um, episode ideas. So over this weekend, we had multiple people tweet at us asking us to look into what's going on with Metro, excuse me, Metro Animal Care and Control. What's going on there? Well, the issues for our city's animal control have actually been pretty well documented. Uh, WPLN reported back in 2020 that the agency staff was in a crisis mode and was struggling to respond to calls. Then, in February of this year, the city announced that it was scaling back services because of a staffing shortage. Now, it only accepts stray dogs for limited hours on weekdays and has adoption days from Thursdays to Tuesdays, among many other cutbacks. Wow, that's that's pretty troublesome. I just adopted two new kitties, and I love it. What's, I wonder what their issue is. We're going to have to do a show about it, I guess. Yeah, and you know what? There's a bunch of animal lovers here on staff at uh, This is Nashville, and there's obviously clear interest from our listeners. Yes, many thanks to our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon, for this roundup. We're going to see you next week, same time, same place. I'll see you next Thursday, and listeners, you know where to find me online. Don't forget to add us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with the co-founder of Conexión Americas, Renata Soto, and learn more about how it all began. Tweet us at This Is Nashville to tell us how Conexión Americas has impacted your life. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. When Renata Soto came to Nashville in 1996, the Latino community was not as visible as it is today. In her work, she saw a need to create a place of connection and a need for people to tell their stories. To meet that need, in 2002, she founded Conexión Americas, along with Jose Gonzalez and Maria Clara Mejia. We're pleased to have her here with us today to tell us how it all came together. Renata Soto, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you, Khalil. It's so good to be with you. Really good to have you with us. So let me ask you, what first led you here in the 90s? Ah, like many people, including that demographic change that we're going to talk about. I am one of those people that came in the mid-90s because of job opportunities. In my case, my husband's job, we came via Atlanta. I was just finishing college. I had started my nonprofit career in Atlanta. He was a young banker and his job brought us here in 1996, right after the Olympics. And we thought we would be here for a couple of years, but here we are 25 years later and Nashville became home. So Nashville was a very different place then, I can imagine. You'll take me back to that time. What was it like? Yeah, when I was arriving in 96, like any newcomer like myself, but also native Nashvillians, 
were noticing anytime you drove by a construction site. Ha, huh? the kind of workers that were now working there. You started seeing more markets and restaurants in places like Nolensville Road with Spanish language signs and other languages, in fact. And you saw a lot of churches that had signs offering free English classes. And those, to me, those were the markers that experientially all of us were seeing in front of our eyes that were really the story of that macroeconomic pull factor that um, was evident because of the economic boom of the mid-90s that places like Nashville and other cities across the South were experiencing. If you recall, well, let's see, Khalil, how long have you been in Nashville? I've been in Nashville, uh, it's almost eight months. Oh, okay, so we have to cover 20 years of history in 20 minutes. Okay, yeah, we got this. Head up here. Okay. So <laughs> 1996, Nashville is also in the midst of big multimillion construction jobs, projects. The Nashville's Bridgeton Arena is built in 1996. Nissan Stadium is built in 1999. This is the pace of employment growth is, you know, we were a hot market. The service industry was also growing. There was low unemployment. The labor supply was tight, much like right now. Uh, Williamson County, our neighbor to the south, was also booming with new residential construction. Senator Marsha Blackburn would not recognize this, but Latino workers built Williamson County. Mm -hmm. In places <laughs> nearby, like Shelbyville, Tyson Foods and other poultry plants also were attracting workers. And I think that, Khalil, if I can take you to a church, this will be the story that tells that demographic change. Please. Father Green, formerly um, the priest at St. Edward's Church, tells the story how his congregation changed when in the late 90s, all these young men came to his congregation and you know they were the workers that came for those big infrastructure projects. They came to stay temporarily for that job opportunity, but they found what they like. And after a few years of Father Breen's congregation changing with a nice presence of Latino men being part now of mass every Sunday, a couple of years later, his congregation changed again when these men sent for their wives and children because they deem Nashville a good place to raise a family and where to claim your roots. And that is what was happening in Nashville in the 90s, that it was even more exacerbated in the early 2000s, right? Like we, we were the third highest rate of growth of the Latino population in any place in the country. When I came to Nashville, I think the census said that there were 6,000 Latinos. By the time Nashville takes the 2000 census, it says that we were 26,000. And what's important about that is that even though in absolute numbers, of course, the Latino population still today and then is highly concentrated in places like California and other border states that we always think about, Latino communities and Latino states. What the 2000 census said was a new story of who was in America and where the Latino community was making home. In Nashville, it was part of the story. We were one of those states and one of those communities where the rate of growth was higher than places in other communities like California. 
So a part of this story with this construction boom, people coming here, the population growing by 20,000, as you just noted, but there were some anti-immigration bills in the legislature. Can you tell me about that? Yes, I think that what's important to recognize is that at that time, many people in, in Nashville and in Tennessee in general saw this demographic change with a welcoming sense of, you know, we're becoming more cosmopolitan. Certainly people enjoyed um, what these new immigrants were bringing that we also could benefit from. Restaurants and foods that were now part of what we had access to. But certainly, many Nashvilleians and Tennesseans uh, outside of the Nashville core area also felt threatened by these new communities that were bringing new customs, spoke different languages, and questioned the identity of what it means to be a Tennessean. And where you see the symptoms of that unwelcome anxiety is in the driver license. So people at the state legislature felt that we needed to do everything we could to make sure that this community of Latino workers that were coming here were not feeling like this was the place for them to come and that we needed to demagnetize our state because we were attracting too many of these workers. And so the driver license became a focal point of legislatures, of the legislatures who really felt that we needed to put a stop to this change. And it was actually this conversation about driver license that in a way is the seed for what starts Conexión Americas and also the Tennessee Immigrant and Refugee Rights Coalition in some way. At that point, neither one of these two organizations existed, not even on a napkin paper. But um, the founder of Turk later, uh, David Luell, myself, and other people loosely assigned uh, you know, as a, as a working group, we met at my dinner table and other places after work um, to strategize to fight these anti-immigrant bills that were coming more often and more in organized ways too. And we really felt that this of course was, uh, were, were policies that were not good for the Latino community, but not good for the state in general. And that was the context in which um, also organizations across Nashville, nonprofits and local governments, were seeing the demographic change, were seeing Latino families come to their doors, where the health department and nonprofit organizations that were responding to new families coming to them. And so what happens is that um, places like United Way starts making investments in these organizations that are responding to these unique needs. But what happens in the context of these anti-immigrant bills happening in the state legislature is that there's not one organization that embraces or that understands the complexity, legal, cultural, and otherwise, of a family coming into Nashville trying to make a new life and pursuing their version of the American dream. And while we had really great nonprofit organizations like the Girl Scouts starting a troop for Hispanic girls and you had Woodbine Community Organization, which was like the really trailblazer in offering services to the Latino community who was settling over uh, along the Nolensville corridor in South Nashville, they didn't see as part of their role to be a voice uh, in front of this conversation 
about uh, policies that were rejecting these families to be here. And you did something. And and personally, this is what led me to leave United Way at some point when I found my dear partners and friends, Maria Clara Mejia and Jose Gonzalez, who from different trajectories got to the same point. And we decided that such an organization needed to exist, that yes, we do need to provide services that support the aspirations that these families bring to Nashville to make it here, to start businesses, to buy houses, to send their kids to school, to see them graduate from high school and go to college and have all these opportunities they themselves didn't have. But we also absolutely need an organization that is gonna be raising that voice both here in Nashville and at the state level, telling the stories of why these families came here in the first place and why they are important fabric of our communities. And that was part of the genesis of Conexión Americas, trying to be both a partner to the Latino families who were coming here and also a table for those stories of these families to be told. And that's how we started in 2002. So if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lecolona. We're talking this hour about Conexión Americas, a local institution that has served our Latino communities for 20 years. So as you all were creating and designing Conexión Americas, you decided to spread awareness about this, and you actually became a volunteer radio host. Can you tell me about that experience? Yeah, no, actually, the radio show precedes Conexión. The radio show is... Let me say again, the story of Conexión Americas and how it came to be is not only mine, as we already recognize, it also belongs to my co-founders, Jose and Maria Clara. And of course, it belongs also to many people, the founding board members, funders, and especially Latino families who said, yes, we can, and yes, we should, we need this. So what I share with you today is how I understand the story and, and how I came part of it. So when I was working at United Way, my work didn't entail working with the Latino community directly. And certainly I, I had a sense of that that's what I wanted to do too. So I was part of a small group of women that was gathering for several months to do something. We were just five. Ana Escobar, now judge, also a trailblazer in this community was one of those women. And after many conversations and community forums that we hosted, Alianza Latina was the name of that group we decided to start a radio show because one of the things that we found out is that people were saying, we need information, we need to know how to access resources, we need more information about the laws and the situation in which we find ourselves here, we need to know more about resources and we need that in Spanish and we need that in radio. And so that's the birth of El Café de las Siete, a radio show that I did as a volunteer for almost five years. And it was through that show that week after week, Uh, Mary Griffin, my co-host and co-producer, and I sat down with people from all walks of life in Nashville, from the nonprofits that were starting to create services, to the lawyers who were, by the way, the most popular guests, always immigration lawyers. Hmm. And it was through those conversations that we realized both what was emerging in Nashville in terms of resources and opportunities for Latino families, but also what was missing and where were the voids and where were the disconnects between what Latino families were pursuing and what our community had to offer. And all that I learned through that radio show and my work as a grant maker at United Way certainly was part of what informed my sense of 
what an organization like Conexión Americas needed to do. Of course, as, as you know, it's always not just the right time and the moment and what is needed, but also the right people. And once that I partner with Maria Clara and Jose and their own vision and their own sense of what this organization could do, we started Conexión Americas in 2002. And that radio show, I have to say, we lost the founder and Elio Trevino was a pioneer. He um, started Radio Melodías at night. During the day, it was a radio station, AM frequency, that was a gospel radio station. And he rented a few hours at night. Um, and El Café de la Siete, our radio show, was one of the hours. And I think that that's also you know, evidence of both the entrepreneurial spirit, the, the ways in which everybody was trying to, to be for our community, Elio Trevino certainly is also a person that needs to be recognized uh, in my own sense of uh, how his legacy is certainly what led me to this path of starting Conexión. So as you and Jose and Maria Clara are getting together to create Conexión, what resources were you all really developing and deciding, recognizing even that you wanted to provide for people? So we understood that we needed to provide basic information and referrals. People needed information on how to connect with the health department. When children were about to start school, people needed to know about immunizations and requirements for metro schools. There were basic things people needed to connect and know of how life works here in Nashville. And we knew that we needed to be that. But we also, and most of all, were interested in supporting families for the long-term economic mobility that we knew they came here pursuing. So while we develop more traditional direct social services like a information referral line, we also from the beginning were really intent in building programs that help families buy homes and start businesses. The homeownership program was one that took, you know, two years to develop in part because we were trying to create a market for undocumented families who did not have access to mortgage loans if they just showed up to a regular bank. And so it was both a process of creating programs that um, were attempting to bring you know, a resource and in this case, a product that didn't exist in the market. And in other times it was to connect people to the resources that already existed in our community. So it was always this um, view on the needs that immediately families uh, have for information and connection, but it was also about creating paths for economic mobility so that they achieve those dreams of become homeowners, of starting businesses. And that's what was our driving force along the notion of being a voice and being present at the legislature plaza when we needed to fight because mostly was fighting and reacting to things coming that way. And later hoping also to be actually proponents of forward looking uh, policies that would move, move our community and our city and our state forward. I wonder, what was it like to find community partners? Like were there other organizations open and eager to be working with you all? You know, I think that by the time that Conexión Americas is coming into being, it is, it is obvious for foundations that the demographic change is taking place. And 
at least then remember when we used to take the census, it took two, two years to have the results. So even though the 2000 census already is been taking, we're forming in 2002 when we don't have the 2000 census results yet. But empirically people knew Nashville is a changing city and this community of Latino immigrants is just only going to continue to grow. So I have to say that by the time we knock on the doors of foundations and other nonprofit partners, people understood that, that there was a place for an organization like ours that had the cultural competence and the linguistic competence to develop programs that would be there for these families. And that also people understood, including Mayor Bill Purcell, who was uh, in office then, that it was for the benefit of our city. We as a city were gonna be better off to the extent that Latino families were also moving forward economically, socially, culturally, and that we needed to provide those supports so that um, everybody would benefit, the families and the city from this newfound richness in this hardworking entrepreneurial people who are now part of the community. So here we are 20 years later, does what's happening now match the vision you had back in 2002? Ah, you know, I don't think that when you start something, certainly I can say, when we started Conexión Americas, oh, of course we had a very ambitious mission. I mean, we wanted people to buy homes and start businesses. Um, and so so, so we, we, we knew that in many ways what we're trying to build, um, was, was ambitious in its, in its own small way. Um, I don't know that, that I ever have built anything that is with the notion of like, oh, and so this will be this big in 20 years. I think it's more the sense of, can we be for Latino families that sort of, you know, shoulder they can lean on and that um, table setter that invites them to a beautiful dinner table where they feel that they are treated with dignity, where they feel that this is a place where they belong, where they feel that this is a place where the children can grow and unleash their full potential. I would have never imagined that Casa Safran would be a home and a iconic landmark in Nashville in the way that it has. Um, and certainly I don't know that I had notions of all the ways in which Conexión has continued to grow, certainly in the last three years since I left. But I am certain, I am certain that um, it, it is because the Latino families continue to fuel that sense of the progress that we wanna achieve in this country, right? Like many children are now US born. We have many Latino families that are the parents who are the immigrants, but their children now we have, you know, kids that have graduated from high school and beyond who are native Nashvilleans, who are US citizens by birth. And I know that Conexión Americas will continue to be fueled by both that energy and that sense of aspiration of, of what they as individuals and as a community want to achieve. So I, I, I can't wait to see where my colleagues, Marta Silva and Tara Lenz, um, and the community that is propelling them um, to a vision for the next 20 years. You must feel very, very happy, very proud. 
I am, you know, I think that for me, Conexión Américas is, is a story of Nashville claiming. And, 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 and in that sense, I, I mean it, not just the founders, not just the team that makes it happen, not just the board members that contribute to it, but the Nashville in Casa Safran are a story of Nashville in the sense that it speaks to our aspirations of really wanting to become and be a welcoming community. In many ways, we still have long ways to go, but I am proud that I think Conexión Américas and Casa Safran are, are, are examples of that aspiration that Nashvilleans have. And it is, is both a place to direct that and also uh, a symbol of what is possible when people come together for a common purpose. And I think that that's, that's what I'm most proud of. Renata Soto is the co-founder of Conexión Americas. She was kind enough to be here with us today. Renata, thank you so much for being on the show. When we come back, we'll invite the current co-executive director of Conexión Americas to talk about where the organization is now and meet someone whose life was directly impacted, impacted by this mission. Tweet us your stories about Conexión Americas at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Le Colonna, and this is Nashville. This hour, we're talking about Conexión Americas, the Nashville institution that has been serving our Latino communities for 20 years. Earlier, we heard about the origins. To get a better sense of where the organization is today, I'd like to invite my next guest. Marta Silva is the co-executive director of Conexión Americas, and she joins us now. Marta, thanks for being here. Thank you, Kalea. It's a pleasure to be with you and everybody that, of course, is listening to us. Today. Oh, we're so excited to have you. So, so tell me, how did you first become involved with Conexión Americas? Yes, well, uh, as many others that uh, came to Nashville looking for a place to feel like home and being prosperous, I moved to Nashville back in 2009 with, with my husband. Um, I was looking for that place where the Latino roots were present. Everybody started talking, of course, about Conexión Americas. That's the place that you need to go. Go meet with this group of Latinos that are trying to make an impact. Um, and then I started as a volunteer. I was a volunteer receptionist for a while for Conexión Americas back in the day when where no more than five employees uh, in downtown Nashville. And later on, I was fortunate to join the team as a tax preparer just for the, for the season. I left the organization uh, for a few weeks when uh, Renata Soto, who joined us today, uh, called me for um, an opportunity to join the team for the flood relief efforts that took place in, back in 2010. So I was, I was very fortunate to lead those efforts on behalf of Connection Americas. How did that experience in 2010, that flood was a huge, big event, how did that really shape you or appeal to you to continue this work? 
definitely the flood was impacting everybody, but definitely something that is very clear in any crisis is that those that uh, are with less ability financially or when they have less access to resources for many reasons, for barriers of language, for barriers of documentation, for barriers of financial mobility, those are even more impacted. Um, definitely flood affect all Nashville, but like I say, those families that were underserved financially speaking, they didn't have a lot of options to recover. Um, when we all as humans face the reality of a crisis, we are all in the same situation. We wanna just move ahead. We wanna recover from, from the trauma, from, we wanna recover as much as we can from the losses, the losses of their belongings, their homes, their, their families in some cases. So it was a very clear understanding for me that we need to advocate in so many fronts for those that uh, might not have a voice at the moment and deserve and need that um, assistance to also move forward and recover. How did it feel to be giving a voice to people? It felt, it felt fantastic because obviously I was new, still in town, I'm an immigrant myself that I have been in the country, in the United States, realistically um, recently compared to other immigrants in the country. So I felt empowered. I felt like even when I'm, I'm a new person here, I can, I can assist, I can uh, help people from all backgrounds, because something that it was clear for us at the Restore the Dream Center in a collaboration with United Way at the time was that we were helping Southeast Nashville disregarding where they, their background was. So it was a pleasure for me personally on behalf of our organization to be available, to be ready to, to help from mental health, from supplies, from recovering the homes, from a couch that might change somebody's life and perception of the tragic. So I felt very honored, empowered, and enriched of being uh, an American, because obviously this is my country now, and I want everybody to feel the same sense of belonging. So the flood was more than a decade ago, but we've had some pretty difficult times recently as well. As the pandemic set in, what were you seeing in the community? Definitely the pandemic brought to us um, the, that equal realization. Again, that uh, when crisis hit, uh, our families were hit the most uh, among others, among other communities. Our families are workers that not necessarily have the capacity, the ability, the luxury to take a sick day or work from home. Mm -hmm. um, many of our families are the frontline workers that if you don't show up at work, you don't get paid. So obviously those were the first families that were behind on the rent, the families that were facing um, the lack of medical attention because obviously they were not aware of resources. 
And then what we did as Connection Americas, along with many other partners, amazing partners in the nonprofit world, was to make sure that those resources that were available were informed and those that might not be available, we were looking for those, we were advocating for those, we were making sure that those foundations, those um, local resources understood that at this moment of crisis, we need to recover all as a community because it's not helping anybody if we are leaving people behind. When we are talking about those, um, that shortage of em employees, um, early on, many of our families, Latino families were, um, were the reason. Because again, childcare was, was difficult. Many of our families needed to go back home to take care of their kids. Kids were not going to school. Our, our workers were not showing up at the workplace. We started seeing a lot of evictions in Southeast Nashville more than ever. For the first time, Conexión Americas saw many cases of homeless Latino families, which is, is not usual, is not something that we normally faced. And that was as a result of the financial crisis that many of our families were facing. Let's hear from some people who have worked with Conexión Americas. Brian Hale is the, the director of the Neighborhood Health, and Jaime Pereira is the owner of A1 Trust Cleaning Service. Thanks to you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Jaime, let me ask you, you've received training and education from Conexión that helped you grow your business. Tell me more about how that happened. Yes, how are you? Um, well, I came to United States in 2001 uh, from a small country in Central America, Costa Rica. So uh, I came with nothing, just with my wife and my son. He was in that time two years old. And I mean, to start again, you know, from scratch. And uh, uh, my wife, the first job she got was uh, cleaning uh, in the hotel and uh, maybe six months later she she get her first client on a residential mm -hmm. and um, in 2008 uh, I, I was working in a shop welding shop and uh, but because of the economy uh, the shop was closed and I was without job in that moment and uh, my wife in that time she has like night lines on the residential working by herself but uh we start uh we talking my wife and i and i say well what are we gonna do uh, we don't i don't have a, a job and uh we're thinking to start doing the job together cleaning houses and and we did it for a couple years and uh, we start growing a little bit because uh or air force and uh, so, but I realized I need information about how to, I can grow my a business, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I came, I don't remember how I connect with Connection America, but uh, they give me the classes to, for, an, for uh, in that moment, I don't know if they still have it, but it was a prosper business, so business prosper. If not, I'm not right, Marta. Correct. That's still one of our strong programs going. Yeah. 
Correct. And I, I have the, uh, the program and uh, they help me so much to how to make my logo, how to make my business card, how to do CPA job, um, insurance, and um, I mean, all, all that kind of stuff, you know, from the beginning, from the beginning. That's absolutely fantastic. Now, now, Brian, you partnered with Conexion during the height of the pandemic. And Marta was talking earlier about how the pandemic really affected the work Conexion was doing. Can you tell me a little bit more about that partnership? Sure. And I think the important part, too, is just to set, set the table for that. Our partnership with Conexion Americas goes way back until about 2013, where we opened our neighborhood health clinic at Casa Azafran. So we've been working hand in glove with Conexion Americas for you know well over a decade. And it's been so exciting to see that all of this come together. What happened during the pandemic was fascinating. And what we saw initially, when you look at the heat maps of the COVID cases across Davidson County, was we were seeing a disproportionate number of COVID cases among Hispanic residents and areas of Nashville um, that had denser housing. And those two things are certainly related, but we tried to tease them apart to figure out what's the right response. And one of the things that we did very carefully is work with Connection Americas to make sure how people understood where they could get uh, testing. And then the follow-up part about that is once you get a test result, what does it mean and where can you get medical care? And so we were spending all of 2020 working on that. On January 27th, 2021, when Neighborhood Health received vaccines from the state and we started vaccination, and we worked so closely overnights and weekends and everything else to start making sure that we were vaccinating people um, who were eligible. And you'll remember back at that time, that was only individuals who were 70 and older. We were initially worried we weren't seeing very many, but Marta and others said, Brian, you got to think about this. There are 400,000 Hispanic residents of Davidson County only 10,000, less than 4%, are going to be under or age 70 or older. And so it was just a reminder of how much we have to learn about the demographics here and making sure that we were on task. One last part about the, the vaccination rate, the work that Connexion helped do across Davidson County led to an age-adjusted vaccination rate for the Hispanic population that's higher than the general population. So the work that they did saved lives. We were able to put shots in arms at special events through outreach efforts and making people comfortable about getting vaccination. And that's because Connexion was there. And it's because we had such a strong partnership to make it happen. Jaime, as a person who immigrated here and made Nashville your home, what do you want people to know about the Latino community? Ah, uh, well, um... We got, we got, we got organization like Connection America and many. So I want to everybody to reach uh, this kind of organization because it's very, very important to, uh, you know, to learn the language, to do everything with, with organization like them. I mean, I, I remember just a proverb about the, uh, you don't have to give to somebody the fish. You have to teach how you fishing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It is. I'm translating from from Spanish to English. I don't know if this if if, if you remember that proverb. Oh, I, but, I, uh, I like how you put it. <laughs> but um um uh, that's what happened with connection. Okay, mm -hmm. we are people with need. The 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 uh the Hispanic community are 
we are not poor people. Poor people for me is like a mindset. We are people with need. So if we can uh, help uh, Conexión America, they can help us to how we can, uh, how we can get more fish in our life or in our uh, business. I have to stop you right there, Jaime. We only have a little bit of time left. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you to Jaime Pereira, Marta Silva, and Brian Hale. Thank you all so much for being with us. Now, before we go, we're going to meet someone else who has a close relationship with Conexión Americas. Veronica Sacero has started Nashville Noticias about seven years ago with just herself and her husband. Today, they have a dozen employees, a studio at Plaza Mariachi, and a show on Univision. Each day, she delivers the news to many Facebook followers, and in 2020, WPLN News established a partnership with Nashville Noticias to exchange content. Reporter Samantha Max recently spent a day tagging along with Veronica. It's a little after 9 a.m. on Monday morning, and Veronica Salcedo has just pulled into her driveway in Antioch. She's fresh from the salon, and her long blonde hair is perfectly curled in loose ringlets that fall down her back. She looks like a TV star in a tight red dress and heels as she ushers me into her living room. Vero first fell in love with media as a kid in Zacatecas, Mexico. One day, instead of getting on the bus for school, she went to the local radio station, where she hoped to audition to be a singer. Spoiler alert, seven-year-old Veronica did not become a professional cantante. But she says that visit to the radio station changed her. It felt magical. Y resulta que pues me quedó muy como que muy impactado eso. Y y bueno, yo seguí siempre con esa idea. Vero started dictating stories into her dad's tape recorder. Then, when she was in high school, she heard the radio station was hiring broadcasters. She decided to apply. Hice mi prueba y y luego luego me dijeron, "No, sí tienes buena voz. Quédate, quédate este a practicar." Yo no, pues yo encantada. The folks at the station told her she had a good voice. But they couldn't hire someone so young. They let her intern instead. One opportunity led to another, and eventually a professional career in radio. When her husband was offered a job at a station he'd worked at years before in Nashville, they decided to go to the States. She says the adventurous spirit of a journalist is always looking for more people to meet. And since moving to Tennessee, she's met so many people. Everywhere she goes, people hug her. Her phone is always ringing. Me gusta mucho cuando la gente me saluda. Me siento tan feliz porque pues prácticamente yo aquí no tengo familia. It makes Vero happy when people greet her while she's out reporting. She doesn't have any family here besides her kids. The Latino community is her local family. Y es lo que me hace levantarme todos los días. That's what gets Vero out of bed every day. She has a crazy schedule, often starting early and ending late, working through holidays and weekends. The news can't wait. Hay que estar ahí y, y, y bueno, ya habrá tiempo para comer, ya habrá tiempo, pero la noticia no puede esperar. Tienes que estar ahí. The pandemic was particularly tough to cover as COVID tore through Nashville's Latino community. She remembers taking calls from people who were sick and terrified to go to the hospital, bringing them garlic and onions and tea, comforting families who had lost their loved ones. Right before the pandemic, Vero had lost both of her own parents a few months apart. 
She says their deaths helped her to connect with people who were grieving. Fue también una enseñanza para poder entender lo que estaba, lo que pasó en, con la pandemia. Porque la pandemia realmente nos cambió la vida a todos. Vero says some days are hard. She would rather have spent Christmas 2020 watching a movie at home, not shivering in the 20-degree weather as she covered the downtown bombing. But other days are happy. Days when she helps people. When fiascos are resolved or crises are averted. Like the hot July morning in 2019, when federal agents tried to detain a man and his son in their van on the way to work. Te vayan a detener o algo, ¿verdad? Por cuestiones migratorias. Neighbors and activists filled the street blocking the agents. Some brought gas to keep the air conditioning running. Others delivered sandwiches and drinks. Vero remembers people holding hands to make a human chain. And it worked. The officials left. Vero gets emotional thinking back on that day. Sí me emociona porque... No, no sé, fue algo muy... Muy impactante para mí porque... Pues como madre yo podía entenderla a ella y, y también pues teníamos que hacer algo, ¿no? As a mom, she could feel the mother's anxiety while her son and husband were trapped in the car, praying they wouldn't be deported. And she was overwhelmed by the energy in the crowd to do something, anything, to help. Those are the best days, Vero says. When she gets home and tells herself, I did what I needed to do for one more day. Digo, ya, por hoy, este, gracias a Dios, ya se cumplió lo que tenía que hacer. Every day there's something. Someone needs a lawyer, an appointment with the consulate. There's a fire or an accident or an apartment building with no electricity. Ah, mira, este es el lugar donde te digo. And when she needs to let it all go, Vero drives through her favorite tree-lined street in Antioch with all the windows down and takes a few deep breaths. Pero no, me quedo tranquila porque pues por lo menos tratar de ayudar un poco o a ver si se puede ayudar. Qué bueno. If I can help, she says, how great is that? Gracias por acompañarnos. Muy buenas tardes. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, with Eid approaching, we're reflecting on Ramadan and how it's celebrated here in Nashville. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Ruth Rico, Andres Martinez, and Ariel Safdi. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and tell us what you want to hear from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other.